Welcome to the Hospitality Podcast. Where's the lamb sauce? Come on, man. I just need a this lamb Where's the lamb sauce? sauce? Presented by Arthur Gomez. God damn it. I just spent $8,000 on fucking wine. And Quentin Wind. What are you? An idiot sandwich. So pour yourself a glass because we're diving into the world of restaurants, kitchen and bar, the Hospitality Podcast. Come everybody to the second episode of Breaking the Cork. And sorry guys, we're just laughing because it's the first time we really heard the intro. The Hospitality uh, Podcast. <laughs> we really like the intro, we just feel like it's maybe a bit too uh, American, American style for us. But I mean, we, we're going to try with this one for a few episodes and we'll see where it goes. Give Today. us a little bit of a comment about it. Yeah. <laughs> Should we keep it or? <laughs> Feel free to send comments about the intro, guys. No problem. <laughs> so today for the second episode, we have an amazing guest with us. We have Florian, who is the head of mixology at the Peninsula London. Welcome, Florian. Thank you. Thank you for having me. What Great. do you think, Florian, about the, the new intro? That, that's perfect. That's online. So can you explain to everybody when did you start? What was your first job? So I didn't want to become a, a bartender at first. My dad set me up to, to become a chef which uh, I hate saying that and playing football, to be honest. Are, are your dad a chef? <laughs> no, but he was. So my dad was the last boy of a family of three guys. He lost his mom quite early. Back in the days on the countryside, when you're the youngest one, you're going to care the duty of the mom and look after the house. Okay. So cleaning, cooking, and whatever. Uh, and we have a family of uh, uh, farmers, a very old-style, uh, old-school farming. So very early, when I was going on holidays, I was going over there. Uh, but instead of going in uh, to the field with the men, I was potentially spending a bit more time uh, with my dad in the kitchen because, well, it smells very good and it tastes very good. Yeah. So uh, at 14 years old, I went to cooking school uh, and I did six years. So two years BP, two years back and two years uh, BTS. Um, and my best friend uh, at the end of uh, uh, school told me, Flo, what about we become bartender? It's, it's a fun job. And he went for an extra year, motion complémentaire, that I didn't, want, I didn't want to do it because I got my exam of a uh, back plus two and motion was level uh, POP. Okay. Sorry, sorry for the, I don't have for a the French translation. Yes, sorry for that. <laughs> it's fine. Um, and so I got in contact with Bertrand Valentin, which was the bar manager of uh, Buddha Bar back in the days uh, through my uh, teacher. And I wanted to start as a bar back. Uh, so the polish and, and clean and whatever to, to start working in a bar. But he gave me a job of first bartender uh, seller manager. Mm. So my job was a uh, Monday to Friday job, uh, seven in the morning to six, seven uh, at night. And I was in charge actually of the logistic of the bar. So I was supporting him in everything related to the bar, but making cocktail. Okay. So I was ordering wine. I was ordering spirit. Yeah. Uh, soft. I was uh, organizing the seller. I, I was managing a commie. Uh, so I was 21 years old. It was um, so interesting. Uh, I was looking at cost. I was understanding how the business works, how much money we had to make. My boss was huge about wine. Uh, so this is where I started to, to discover the world of wine with champagne, red, white, whatever. Um, I was in charge of ordering the, the glassware, everything related to the bar. I was doing the service for lunch and the afternoon I was doing, uh, some prep for the bar. And okay. so at night I was going. So this was my life for the first year and a half in Paris. Um, and after that, I wanted to, to go behind the bar. And the deal for me to go behind the bar was to keep my job at day, 
And then you allow me to work three three times a week, I believe, uh, if I remember well, at night. So, so, so double job. Yeah, so I was doing a lot of hours, but I was young. But eventually I learned a lot. And actually this first job was amazing because it took me quite a bit of time to enjoy being a bartender because I started to work at night. So my routine changed completely. Um, and I didn't have any more responsibility because I had the level of a commie. Mm. Even if I was a... a, a plus a bartender with responsibility during the day. So I needed a bit of time to adjust. And so eventually after those two years, I moved to Sydney, which was uh, great. It was very good. I started to work in a bar called uh, Pelicano, which was yeah. uh, managed by Jean Munoz, which is an ex-Buddha bar guy. So we ended up being four ex-Buddha bar guys working in this business. Um, it was a bar in Double Bay, so in the Bay of Sydney, and we were only serving very wealthy people and the amount of money we were making it was just insane uh on a big weekend thursday friday saturday the bar was making close to 150k in oh, revenue that's, a lot. that's okay. a lot of money and it just it was called a double pay the double pay so we were making very good money very young i went there with my best friend and an ex bartender from buddha bar alexandra clay that just uh, won the uh trophy du bar Mm. Uh, call me and say, Flo, what's up? What you doing? I was Budaba and I was like, look, it's been two years. I'm getting a bit tired. I want to change. And I just got a ticket and I went over there. My best friend followed me. So we did a year over there. Very interesting. And I started to work for Merival, which is a massive company. Merival, they've got, I think, uh, now something like 60 to 70 businesses in Sydney. Um, and so back in the days when you got a working with a visa, you were only able to work six months in the same place. So after my six months at Pelicano, the bar with Jean Munoz and the Buddha bar team, I moved to one of the bars uh, at Merival. I did six months. Went back to France to work at Buddha bar as an assistant bar manager. Uh, so I was uh, 24 years old. I was very young. And after three months, I decided to leave because I think it was not the right opportunity for me. And I'm glad I left because I was just too young. And this is where uh, I learned the difference between having the potential and having the maturity of. And I was just way too young to have a job like this. Um, even if I, I believe I had the potential, but it was just not the place I was meant to be at the time. And so I went back to Australia, was kind of uh, in love with someone, very tricky plan. Uh, so I went back with a tourist visa. And after 24 uh, hours and 30 minutes of travel, I spent six hours and a half in custom. Uh, That's very good. interesting <laughs> part. Why is that? Say, Checked everything uh, from my life, which was very interesting. Phones, computer, bank account, called my boss, called my mom, called my girlfriend, called my friend. Uh, after six hours and a half, they released me. And I quickly jumped into uh, a student visa, which a lot of people do. Um, but I went back with the girl. So that was my mindset. And after three, three days, actually, I ended up the thing because she was seeing someone else, which is part of, the, of life, you know. And so got to school. I had four jobs at once uh, for three months in a row. So I was, do, I was working morning and night every day because I needed to make money. And after three months-ish, uh, I, um, uh, I got sponsored with Merival. Because before I left the first year, I got a good talk with the uh, head of bars over there uh, that told me, Flo, if you come back, just uh, give me a call and we'll see what we can do. So I got quickly um, uh, sponsored. I stayed a year. And, uh, and eventually I left. So I worked at Palmer Co for this year, which was a bar in the 50 best, amazing bar, speakeasy, 
you had three bars in the same bars. The, the amount of people we were seeing every day was just insane. So again, very tough experience because as I was sponsored, when you got a sponsored back in the days, you were just working so hard. So my shift was 11 a.m. to 4 a.m. every day. You mean uh, compared to like a classic yeah. people who live in Australia? Yeah, and, okay. because you, you don't get paid extra hours. So it, it was a lot of hours every day. And we're talking uh, something like 16-hour shift. Well, um, and on top of that, I was training six to seven days a week. So I was just working and training for a year. And after a year, I was like, okay, I'm done. So I did that. Uh, so when you sponsored as a supervisor, which, I, which is a kind of like fake, tight, fake title, yes and no, you're mostly a bartender and sometimes they give you responsibility if you want to take on. Okay. Uh, I had good fun in Paris, a bit of fun in Australia, but mostly my life uh, evolved around the work. Then I decided to do a small trip, uh, finally having a bit of holidays. I went to New York for three months to see one, one of my best friends back in the days. So I got a fake green card to be able to work for three really? months. Quite fun. Um, so I work in a few places left and right. And after three months, I decided that it was not worth it for me to stay illegal and work over there. And so I moved to London and I started to work at the Zetterton House in Clerkenwell quite uh, quickly, which been a uh, number one award with Tales of the Cocktails, been uh, ranked 50 best. Amazing team. And this is where I finally learn how to make bespoke ingredients myself and understanding the vision of putting your identity into drinks and putting your mindset into it. And this experience completely changed my life. So just a quick break. I'd like to take a minute to say a big thank you to our sponsor for today's episode, which is Workforce.com. They are the market leader in labor and HR tool on the market for hospitality businesses across the UK and Europe. Workforce is helping organizations to give their managers the info to make their best data-driven decisions. You can routinely hit wage revenue targets by flashing labor costs and integrating your till system. Now, one of my favorites is stopping the weekly Excel spreadsheets log and turn payroll into a five-minute job, ensuring that everyone gets paid correctly every time. Additionally, never manually calculate how much holiday your staff are owed again which includes working out the average leave allowance for you. Also, improve staff retention by using the engagement boosters. Now, I've been using Workforce.com for the past four years for both of my businesses, and it has saved me so much time and hassle. So is your staff management process just more work than it should be? Then join Workforce.com now. Now, back to the podcast. Today, I'm a director of mixology at the Peninsula, so... Uh, my role was, um, because it's an opening, or it was an opening, the peninsula, uh, that's been um, in the process for the past 10 years. My, my role was to create the entire beverage program. So it goes from the spirit selection to the cocktail menu and everything that can be related to that. So from menus to hiring a team, training a team, and setting up the full vision, basically. Um, so I've been in charge of this until the, the opening date. Uh, and for the past um, five months now, my role has been mostly to, to support the team for the operation on an everyday basis, uh, which is quite challenging, but it's good. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. It's very good. Is it like your second experience? What did you do before that? As before a, so it's my second opening in the role. So I did one a year ago, so previously in Paris for Cheval Blanc, which is a, a luxury uh, palace hotel from uh, LVMH. So we opened the fifth one in uh, La Samaritaine, 
nice. in the Pont Neuf, so in the heart of Paris. Uh, same style of opening. It was uh, quite expected by the people because it's a building that's been closed for 15 years. And La Samaritaine was um, pretty historical uh, for Parisian. Um, so same deal, same game. A big team of uh, 30 people, many bars to open, many bars to run every day, uh, which again was very, uh, very interesting. I, I advise people to at least try an opening once because yeah. you, you will never see a business the, the same way. But the beauty of an opening is that it gives you the chance to set up the first page and really write it the way you want instead of coming into a business and having to uh, adapt yourself to what's being done and trying to, okay, what do I have to correct? What do I have to keep? And which direction we're going to give? When you do an opening, you really start from zero. I believe it's very important, and especially nowadays in the hospitality business, it's not the vision of only one person, but I work with a lot of people. And I believe when you have position like this, it's very important to uh, be considerate of the people you hired and the people that with you in the team. Because eventually, you, it's not the dream that you can make happen by yourself. And it only becomes great when the entire team is involved, which is also a challenge, but it brings a lot of uh, interesting uh, talk, development, or whatever. So it's, it's quite great. And would it be a third opening, or would you rather do your own bar? Uh, I think a few months I said was the last time I do, uh, I do an opening. But uh, I think after the first one, I say the same, because it was... It's very violent, or at least the one I did, because I only opened big places. Uh, I don't know what it's like to open a, a smaller business, um, but opening palace this size uh, with people to manage and this amount of business coming through at first. And I believe this is what's been the hardest to manage. It's like the minute you open the door on the first day at the Peninsula of Cheval Blanc, we've seen 400 people through one bar. Yeah. And so... You talk about volume, you talk about consistency. And when it's every single day like this for the first year, it's exhausting. And you need to learn how to manage this on a, on a daily basis. Do I need to support the team every day? But if I do that, then I stop carrying um, my duty and what I'm paid for, what I've been hired for. And finding the right balance in those moments can be very tricky because eventually if you don't look after your team, if you don't support your team during those very hard first months, well, then if you don't have any team, your job is useless. And being a manager, your role is to support your team at first. So it's decision that needs to be taken uh, and endorsed. But uh, eventually, I don't know, maybe if one day I open a, a business, it might be mine. So we'll have to do another opening. But I don't believe I will do another big opening like this. Uh, because I think I, I did enough and I proved also enough to myself that I was able to do it. To give us a bit of a uh, perspective about your um, role as a mixologist, can you give us um, some broad ideas um, on your responsibilities, what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, just so that the audience can get an idea of what you do? Um, so I'm involved into the hiring. So the, the beauty of the Palace Hotel is um, I was only focused on the bar part. And I believe when you open your own business on a smaller scale, you need to look after everything. So I cannot compare to that. I don't need to look after uh, laws or anything related to uh, the everyday life of a business in a palace because you have a lot of departments. My only focus was the bar, which makes actually the thing quite easy in a sense because it's something I always did. 
Um, so I'm involved into the hiring process. So finding the right people that's going to fit to our mindset, which uh, I think is one of the biggest challenge to be honest nowadays, because what's going to make the place successful, it's your people. And so finding the right people that they're going to match with each other, they're going to understand each other, appreciate each other, and support each other when, it, when time becomes difficult. This is the key. So you need to make sure that the people you hire, they have the same mindset. They have the same, not the same skill, but a similar um, personality. And me, I always look for kind people and motivated people. This is my goal. Uh, because having people that are kind, I know they will um, carry and they will uh, be sensitive to people around them. And so to look after guests is, is extremely important, but also to look after the team, it's important. You need to have people that care for others. And this has always been my priority when I hire people. Kindness to me is the most important. And then it's how people are motivated. Uh, and if I have someone that are extremely motivated, that wants to learn, want, want to be part of the team, and I know he's going to dedicate himself 100% to the project, because it's a hard project and I always put all the cards on the table. I don't lie. I always say opening is hard. It's going to be a lot of hours. It's going to be a lot of extra hours, extra days of work. Uh, and it's also the beginning of a relationship between uh, them and myself. And so I believe being a good leader and a good manager, it's to be true and to be fair. So this is the first thing. Uh, that took uh, months, actually, because we had a lot of uh, Pentaland days organized. Uh, so you see uh, something like 50, 60 people a day. Uh, and sometimes you, you find only one person. Sometimes you don't find any. When it's great, if you find two or three. <laughs> and for the peninsula, the teams are quite big. Uh, so we have many bars. And I believe overall, it's close to 35 to 40 people. At the Cheval Blanc, we were roughly around 25 people. My job here is a bit different because as a head of mixology, um, people do not report to me directly. I'm in charge directly of the lab team because we have a lab where people, they work every day to ensure the prep. So it's roughly 80 to 90 hours of prep per week. So it's a lot of work. Uh, but our vision for the bars is similar to a chef. And I really believe that the more you do yourself, uh, the more you control what you offer and the better quality you can give instead of buying syrup or whatever, we rather making them. And so we can offer better quality. Um, so that's one of the first thing. And the second thing, the, the biggest thing, it's creating the menu and then the training plan. The training plan is something extremely important because well, eventually you're going to take your entire team through this program and you need to bring everyone on the same line for them to understand what's going to happen the first day of the opening how the operation is going to run and what we want to bring. So you bring the vision, you bring uh, also the dream of what we trying to achieve. And then you get to the pre-opening part. Uh, again, I've been very lucky because for both businesses, um, Cheval Blanc, we did seven weeks of pre-opening, which is huge, which means for almost two months, every day you practice. So the day you open, it's like a normal day. Mm, right. uh, you got rid of all the little problem or card machine problem that often happen. And actually, the first day we opened a peninsula at Little Blue, we were not able to take payment for the first three hours. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> Everything happened uh, this night, but um, still, it's it's a massive chance to have this amount of weeks. Because on top of that, you try the menu, but the food menu, you try the wine, you try the cocktail, you try the spirit. 
So a lot of thinking comes to your head, meaning that, oh, this actually doesn't make sense. We have time to change it. Oh, actually, we realize that the menu, the quality is not good enough. Let's change. Oh, the paper is not good. Oh, we print in a, a lot of things you can figure out. Uh, so by the day you open, you're more or less ready. And the two opening that I did by the first day we open, we were running quite smoothly. Okay. The hardest part on both opening, as I said before, was the volume of people, which was quite insane. And no matter how hard you prepare on the pre-opening stage, you do not you are not trained to receive two to 400 people in a day. You yeah. do small training of 20, 30, 40, 50 people, but you never go, you never do a, a 12 hour operation. You train on a service of two, three hours. And, but anyway, still give you a very good insight. But that's been the only very hard part uh, is the amount of people we've seen. Just to come back a bit on what you just said, uh, you talk about the lab, the prep, just for the people who don't really know about all this industry and how bars is working, can you explain just what is the lab, what is the prep you're doing before? Yeah, before definitely. Lunch? So we have um, full teams for the bar, and on top of it, uh, finally for the first time for me, we have a thank you. We have a team. Uh, we have a lab team at the Peninsula. Okay. If I give an example, uh, when I was at Cheval Blanc, we had a, a bar program that we call the bar program is going to. Uh, take everything you make in-house for the cocktail, classic and signature, um, which can be a lot. So for the classic, we will go by making uh, or rectifying uh, tomato juice. We're going to do a fresh ginger juice every day. We're going to do fresh eggs uh, that we don't, we buy organic free-range eggs that we break every day to have a very good egg white. Mm -hmm. We're going to do a fresh, uh, clarified, rectified lemon, uh, grapefruit, uh, lime juice every day. Uh, sometimes twice a day, which a lot of people do not realize, but it, it takes a lot of time, especially when you have a, a big volume. But the difference and the impact on the classic cocktail is massive. Um, so we go from all those classic preparation up to grenadine syrup, raspberry syrup, strawberry syrup, whatever, up to the more uh, geeky preparation that we have for signature that can go from a liquor that's going to uh, englobe like 13 preparation that we finally blend. So just to make this liquor, it takes a lot of time to develop. We also take a lot of time to make. And because it's liquor made on site, um, we have to make it every four days. Okay. Well. So liquors, cordial, other syrup, fresh coffee for an espresso martini that we texture, that we rectified, uh, salt solution. We have different essence of tincture that we do. Um, the goal is not to get geeky and do uh, a lot of things. We do what makes sense for us. Yeah, I'll give you an example. If tomorrow we can buy a better Orja Grenadine syrup, we're going to buy because it takes time. If I want to do homemade Grenadine syrup, we buy fresh pomegranate that we juice, we clarify, we sweeten, and then we vac pack, and then we it's a standing order that we give to the bar every five days. But to make this prep, uh, you roughly need uh, an hour and a half. And so when you have something like 100, 120 preps to do weekly, it takes a lot of time. And so we have two people that are in charge uh, of making all those preparations available for the bars so the bars, they can make all the signature and classic cocktail every day, which is a huge comfort. I mean, today you walk at the peninsula, you walk at the bar, you set up the bar, but you go in the morning and you go to the lab and you pick up your requisition and you have everything in sous vide bags. Um, 
and you just take it upstairs, you do your prep and then you can make the drinks, which is great. The only downside that we have with working this way is that it's very hard for us um, to make the team turn and go to the lab because to be working at the lab, you need to be trained. It's not like you jump at the lab and you can do all the prep. Okay, you, yeah. you really need to be trained. And the lab, it's like a kitchen. 12 square meters room with fridges. Just we have very specific equipment dedicated to the lab. So we go to a scale with a tree number after the dot up to micropipette, to sous-vide machine, to thermocirculator, uh, to centrifuge. Um, and the goal, again, is not to be geeky with equipment. Because when I started to work this way uh, eight years ago, I just started with a scale, a pen and a paper. And the goal of a scale was like, I'm going to record everything I do. So when I taste, I can modify it easily. Because if you don't record what you blend or what you make, well, you cannot modify it. And our goal is to be as precise as possible. So by recording every single development or trial that we do, we can modify it to get up to exactly what we want to get. And do you describe yourself as a bartender when, you, when people ask you what you do in life? It's funny because I was talking about it yesterday with a, with a friend, Remy, actually, that's in charge of the lab. And for a very long time, I introduced myself as a bartender. I think today it's important to make the difference between someone that just works in a cafe and do limonade all afternoon uh, and pour a beer or, or serve a perrier or whatever can be called a bartender. That's a thing. And I think in a sense, it's this world mixologist can be important uh, to make the difference between someone that's going to work in a proper cocktail bar and someone that's just going to work in a pub. Not to say that one is better than the other, just to say that it's different. The problem is like, I believe again, mixologist, this world's been a bit abused and used in so many cases for no reason that even me for a long time, I was kind of like dapped in the, the, the term because I was like, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm a bartender. Um, today, I understand a bit more the fact that we use this word and I think it makes sense. But again, it's not like you get an exam for being a, a mixologist compared to a bartender. When I talk with my wife, she said, Flo, you need to stop saying that you're a bartender because she said in the US, a bartender is someone walking in a random cafe on the side, and this is not what you do. So when you say you're just a bartender, you don't serve yourself in a good way. And so people that just don't know what you do, or maybe they have the wrong idea of what you do. So in this sense, I understand a bit more. Okay. Yeah, because basically the mixology at the beginning is like the science of making cocktails. Of mixing, right? yes. Okay. But yeah, and the job evolved so much for the past 10 to 15 years. Um, but I remember my first uh, experience uh, in the world of mixology, actually, because uh, I studied in the Buddha bar when I was 21 years old, and it was a top three best cocktail bar in the world. It was the early years of the mixology. Um, but compared to my experience in 2015, working at the Zetotan uh, House in Claire Kenwell with uh, Tony Conigliaro, that had a monster lab of 200 square meters, and you had chemists working in this lab, and people coming from perfume or whatever, they were very key on understanding how this uh, flavor compound, how this flavor is going to work with another, with another one. It was a very completely different world. But when you start working over there, you understood that, oh, I can make this myself. And when you start making your uh, things yourself, then the, the job changed completely. Yeah. Okay. Do you think you can have like a very good career as a bartender and having like a very healthy life? 
Do you think it's possible yeah, to Yeah, uh, I think so. And I think I'm a good example because, yeah. yes, I've been out. Yes, I had fun. But compared to my best friend, I'm, I'm years from that. But I had good fun, but I also, I think I've been good enough. I would say I'm going, I've been a good boy because I invest a lot of my time at work uh, to make the most of it. So I always work very hard. I always very hard to be the one doing the extra hours, learning a lot, buying books, reading, reading, just being obsessed with the job at performing. Uh, and so, yes, I believe you, you can make very good money and you can be successful without being famous. And you, you can travel a lot. You can have a healthy life at the same time. It all comes down to who you want to be. And when I was very young, I was a massive fan of Matthew McConaughey. And so when I was young, I was just fan of this guy, you know, the kind of like a, a surfer style, a, a nice body, nice hair, nice face, a nice life, a motorcycle, whatever. And I was like, okay, that's a good goal. Uh, and so I trained very young. I was, I'm also a massive fan of... Uh, uh, hip hop, especially jazz hip hop or conscious rap from the late uh, 80s, uh, early 90s. And so you see a lot of uh, people that they, they do a lot of gym, you know? Yeah. Um, and so this is always the, the culture I've been attracted to. And so having a healthy lifestyle and a good balance was always a priority to me. So that's mean like after London, you decided to come back to Paris. I went back to Paris with the idea of opening a business. Okay. So I talked with a few friends. We were like, okay, I've got this amount of money. I've got that. Let's try to make it happen. During this time, I got my first job as a head bartender at the Prince de Galles, which is a, a luxury five-star hotel in a George Five Avenue. First job of head bartender in a palace. Quite impressive. Big challenge because the bar was not working uh, very well. But at the same time, I mean, I knew it in the sense that I'm barely 26 years old. And I become the head bartender, which is close to a bar manager in France uh, okay. of a hotel bar uh, of a palace, uh, George Five Avenue. I mean, I look like a kid. And so... Well, at 26, you look like a kid. <laughs> yeah. I'm 26. Okay, but <laughs> I, 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 so you look older, baby. But I looked very young. Uh, honestly, I looked very young. And so I was like, well, you cannot... I mean, this is a rule in life, I believe. Uh, nothing is... Can, can never be that beautiful in a sense. So if I got this job at this time, it's because the, the, the condition I had. We were understaffed. Um, I had to put, I put 10 grand of my pocket on the table to buy the equipment I needed. Uh, so a small centrifuge, a sous vide machine, a thermocirculator, a uh, micro pipette, scales. I bought everything myself because I was like, if I keep doing this job, I'm going to do it the way I want. Mm. So I took the lead. And I was like, they gave me the opportunity. I'm going to show them that they can trust me and I can do it. And I did for nearly three years. So it's part of the game. And I decided to be like, I'll take it. And it led me three years later to be a bar director or bar manager uh, at Cheval Blanc, which was a massive step up for me. In terms of money, can you give a broader idea of what's the salary as a mixologist or an, um, as a professional bartender? So 26 years old in France at Prince de Galles, if I'm not mistaken, I was making, I think, between uh, 2.8 or 3k a month, which uh, in France, I was very happy, to be honest. I saved quite a bit of money. I was living alone. I was living in an apartment and my rent was... Uh, 400 or 600 uh, euro a month. And so I had... Uh, three amazing years. I was off uh, Sunday, uh, Monday. I uh, made a lot of friends. It was cool. And so by the time I arrived at Cheval Blanc, 
I studied uh, at 40, uh, 54k a year and I moved up to 60k a year. I mean, it's a pretty good salary, to be honest. Um, and moving on, we've seen you've wrote two books to name them, The ABC of Cocktails and The Cocktail Book. Can you tell us a bit more about your book and why, what inspired you to write them? I've been so inspired by what I discovered in London. And actually, this is what pushed me to write my first book because I got so impressed by this new way of making things, this new vision of making cocktail, this love of making cocktail that was like, I need to share what I know. I don't know if it's common knowledge, but I want to share what I learn. I want to share all the technical uh, things that I learn, how to make this, how to make that, uh, and the vision. Because at the end of the day, and I always say that to, to the team I work with, a lot of people, they were obsessed with having the, the new recipes made by Tony, made by this bartender, whatever. But this doesn't matter. The most important is the reflection behind that. How did he come with this recipe? How did he create this recipe? What was his mindset, his reflection on making this recipe this way to have this result? And actually, I want to do a third one, but I think I'm going to take a little break. But the, the goal was to, again, if I could rewrite them, I will do it again because you, you learn the hard way when you write a book, when you publish it. The day is published. It's a screenshot of a, of a specific time. It's published. It's potentially your mindset and your beliefs at this time. But when you, I'm always trying to be very open-minded on what I do. And so we change a lot. And if I give you an example compared to what I used to do at Cheval Blanc, I changed a lot. And there is a lot of things we do differently, but also because you go through things in life that sometimes you do things that are bad and you don't know. And I'm going to give you a very uh, easy example that everyone can get. Uh, I got COVID. My fault, I invited a friend over. My wife said no. I was like, it's fine. It's just, uh, it's okay. It's going to be spend a, a great night. And uh, I got sick and I paid a price because I lost my taste for a year. And actually, I believe it took me even longer to go back to the full balance. And when I arrived at the peninsula, I recovered my taste, but by the time I lost uh, a lot of uh, point comparison, makes sense? Yeah. Um, you know, when you're able to say, oh, this is good, this is not good, for yeah. a very long time, I was just not able to judge. And you also lose confidence in yourself, in your taste bud. Is what I'm thinking is right, or I'm not back yet? And I think uh, it also took me uh, nearly two years. But if you keep an open mind, which, uh, an open mind, which is very important, you always progress. So... Publishing a book, you learn the hard way because even the second book that I love and it's, a, it's dedicated to Cheval Blanc, to the 200 cocktail recipe we revised, to the team, even the picture is very Paris and I love it. But there is already thing that we do differently. So the first book is uh, the cocktail book, actually. So this, is, this was not the name I wanted to. And again, when you... I wrote the book fully while I was at uh, Prince de Galles. I didn't know how it works to, to work with edition or whatever. And so I went to, I, I messaged a few people on LinkedIn. They gave me the name of uh, a woman called Agathe Masson. Uh, she met me. We spent two hours and a half together. She was like, okay, I will sign your book. And, but my book was done already. And she told me normally it doesn't work this way. Normally you give a project, you, you give a sample and they approve it. And then they give you this amount of time to write it. And yeah, I just wrote everything. And the process for the first one was very complicated because I took someone to read it and change a few things. So even the wording, I didn't find myself into it anymore. I had a very specific uh, idea of the way I wanted it to be uh, made. Uh, and it was very different. So I'm happy the way they 
turn it into because graphically or whatever is quite inviting. They made it more approachable, which is good in a way. But my first vision was much more geeky. And again, you learn the hard way. Uh, we need to know that uh, edition or publisher, whatever, they not always have a big budget to read after, to um, uh, do correction, things like that. And on the first one, I was extremely frustrated because I've seen a lot of mistakes, but it's too late, it's published. And the name of the second book is uh, L'ABC des Cocktails. So it's 200 uh, modernized recipe. So this is something I talk a lot about. It's modernized classic, uh, which is taking a classic and just making it updated to the time we're speaking about because a lot of recipes are very good. To have it in a few library or on a few websites like a Fnac, but mostly on Amazon, you, you can have them. So is it available for the UK as well? Yes. Yeah, right. okay. And so the goal is now to, to, oh, I find a publisher that can translate the books in English, but I'm writing the third one uh, in English. And so the third one is supposed to be signature cocktail. So where we really dive into my identity as a uh, cocktail developer and a cocktail maker. I need a right mindset because again, the way I want to offer this book, it's not by cocktail, but it's by ingredients. So as an example, you go to coffee mm -hmm. and I explain how we work with coffee, which coffee we select and why, how to transform it, how to include this raw ingredient into a cocktail. And because this is exactly what we do on a daily basis. That's actually a really good question. For example, tomorrow, let's say you have to create a new cocktails for Peninsula. How do you start to create a new cocktail, signature cocktail for the bar? I go a lot with uh, the feeling and the inspiration at the moment. So it's half feeling and half mathematic. Always that. Uh, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to create uh, 20 drinks in a week uh, because every drink I'm trying to create, I want them to be a bestseller. So... Sometimes when you try a drink, and I can give you the example of a cocktail we do with a kombawa or kaffir lime. Um, one day a girl at work came to see me, uh, a bartender, and she said, Flo, the pisco sour we do, we make it with lemon instead of lime. I think it, uh, it's lacking a bit of crunchiness, you know, the, the specific uh, malic acid uh, proper to the lime that gives this crunch, this freshness uh, that you don't have into the lemon because it's only uh, citric acid. And Can you just remind for everybody what is the a pisco sour? So a pisco sour is a cocktail made with pisco, lemon, or lime, or sometimes both, egg whites, and sugar. Very easy. And so we, we get into the discussion, and I'm starting to think, okay, so what about we just make a pisco uh, infused with uh, fresh lime peels to bring this freshness and the feeling of lime. But we keep the lemon because the balance with the lemon is, to me, nicer. Losing this crud, crunchiness sometimes just bring more elegance and this is what I'm trying to bring into cocktail I love wine because it's very on point very balanced and it's very elegant you know the flavor is most almost like you need to guess them and I like to take this road for drinks because I believe it makes them just more subtle and more elegant and so creating a drink like that it just became bestseller very quickly the same way we we did our espresso martini or we did the twist of the spicy margarita um but those drinks to develop, they take a very long time. It's not like you, you smash it in a day and it's done. Uh, it can take 10, 10 days, 20, 30 days. It really depends. I think people don't realize, but like when you're making a new cocktails, you can spend like easily two weeks, three weeks doing like 50, 60 testing with three, four people from the team yeah. just to make one cocktail on the list. Yeah, yeah. Sometime, and sometimes you can spend two weeks on a drink and you ended up just giving up because it doesn't work. 
you don't find the solution and it doesn't come perfectly. And every drinks I put on the menu, I really want them to to be done and to be like, I'm proud of, I'm proud of this drink. It works with all the drinks on the menus and it's worth the experience because, you know, eventually on the palace, you pay your drink 20 to 26 pounds. It's not like a, a cheaper drink on a street bar is going to be 10 or 12 or even entry level price, 8 pounds. No, no, we're talking 15% service charge. And so the drinks need, needs to be banging, you know? And yeah. so it's a big responsibility. And so the same way we make every drinks at the bar, we all make the drinks the same way. Sometimes people, they believe if they've got a drink from me or from a team member, it's going to be different. The difference, if there is one, is going to be one person. Yeah. That's it. Because we all make the drink the same way. We all shake the same amount of time. We all shake with the same amount of ice. Uh, we all measure the same way. Everything is measured. So we all do the same. You need to pay attention to every single details that come into the making of your drink. Yeah. Uh, I think it's time maybe to start the speed quiz. Speed quiz for you. Okay. Very easy. Uh, 60 <laughs> it's, seconds. It's yes or no? So you ah. have like two different, okay. two different answers. So okay. you just have to choose. Great. Very easy. That's right. Okay, let's go. Australia or London? Australia. Gin or vodka? Gin. Rum or whiskey? Rum. Fresh herbs or spices? Spices. Sweets or bitter cocktails? Oh, bitter. What's the worst, pineapple slice or cocktail umbrella? Cocktail umbrella. <laughs> Sidlip or sparkling water? Sparkling water. <laughs> Negroni or old-fashioned? Negroni. The cocktail book or ABC the cocktail? Oh, ABC now. ABC now? Yeah. That's good. That's good, that's good. So Negroni instead of old fashion. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. You're not a big fan of uh, old fashion. I love old fashion, and I believe we we modernize our recipe by making a soft uh, uh, brand uh, sugar syrup and doing an amazing mix of uh, bitter and changing the whiskey. And now we use Ezra Brook, which is amazing. And so I really love it. Yeah. But eventually, you the feeling that the bitterness gives you this aperitive style feeling that. Unbeatable. Unbeatable. Thank you very much, Florian. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much also for the inspiration you gave to our audience. And for you guys who also are in hospitality and you'd like to feature on our podcast, please don't hesitate to DM us on our Instagram. Also, please follow our page on Instagram. And if you want to listen to the podcast, we are on all major podcast channels such as Spotify and Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and all the others. Arthur, what else do we have uh, in the making? I think that's it. The next guest is going to be someone from the wine industry. Something right. very exciting, so looking forward to it. We're going to drink more wine, obviously. And more wine, as always. As <laughs> always. Great. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for listening. See you to the next episode. Bye-bye.